1: Hi, this is Tracy L. Flatten hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show today. We've got a fun show lined up for you. And I'm also very happy that so many people are listening to the show live and in the Blog Talk Radio archives and also in my iTunes podcast channel. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you're enjoying the shows. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures and the conventions of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. So please do call in with questions or comments to 516 453 Six zero five two. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash thinkers and do log in because the chat is open and if you have a question for our guest, then type it in and I'll ask her. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or if you'd like to have me ask questions of a particular guest. You can reach me at, Tracy at tracylflatten.com and that's Tracy spelled T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, we've got some great guests coming on, and next week on Thursday, November 19th, Dr. Linda Hillebrand will be on to discuss her journey as a physician of integrative medicine and how integrative medicine can help people, especially athletes, as they mature. Um, So tune in and keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com, and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so delighted today to have... Paula Roberts, the English Psychic, Talking About Unlocking the Secrets of Your Handwriting and About Ghost Hunting. You can find out more about Paula at paularoberts.org. And I'm just going to start off with a personal note saying that years ago, like eight or nine years ago, before I was kind of all over the Internet, where I am now, I went to see Paula and she read my handwriting, two lines, maybe, no more, and probably less, and she was uncannily accurate. She just knew things about me from my handwriting that it's inexplicable. It was uncannily accurate, uh, and I listened again to our session, which was recorded a couple weeks ago, and I was just shocked at how incredibly accurate she could be with, you know, like 10 words I'd scrawled on a piece of paper. Paula Roberts is a medium, a clairvoyant, a seer, an author, a TV host, a lecturer, and a handwriting analyst. She was born in England and moved to New York City in 1978. While in London, she realized that she had a gift of being able to communicate with the other side. She went on to develop her abilities of clairvoyance and mediumship at the Spiritualist Association of Great Britain, which is a very respected body, by the way. Also, at that time, she attended the American Franklin School for Graphology, which is handwriting analysis. She had an immediate affinity with the subject and has continued to use it in her client work. She specializes in compatibility through handwriting samples. Her book, Unlocking the Secrets Hidden in Your Handwriting, is available on Amazon.com. She has since been credited with having sensitivity considerably beyond chance of the average super by an eminent parapsychologist. This means that she's been studying and she's proved to have the ability to reach back in time and space and to give information whose accuracy is verifiable without her knowing anything about the subject. Paula has been working full-time as a clairvoyant counselor for over 30 years and has built a large international clientele. She's also known for her annual predictions in the New York Post and many other articles and TV appearances. She had a public-access TV show in Manhattan for 16 years, giving mini readings to viewers without any input from them. She was honored to be the medium at the annual Halloween Houdini Seance in Manhattan some years ago. A few years ago, she was chosen as a psychic consultant for Broadway's revival of Blythe Spirit*. She currently has two series being shown on YouTube discussing many aspects of the esoteric. One of her great passions is doing experimental work as a paranormal investigator ghost hunter, and this work has been documented in the American Society for Psychical Research Journal, also a great, um, very august body, and it's been documented on TV. Her work at the General Wayne Inn Phi was filmed by Unsolved Mysteries and still being shown. So, Paula, welcome. Oh, delighted to be here, Tracy. Thank you so much for asking me on. Thank you for being on it's It's a great pleasure and an honor to have you on the show thank you, thank you and i you know I started off by telling my listeners that I had a great experience with you years ago and um and I especially I found your graphology just phenomenally accurate. The thing about graphology is, and indeed, as you
0: say, I only get people to to write out. One Two lines, and that simply is in script, I live in New York City, and my name is, followed mo- not by the name but the signature. That tells me everything I need to know about a person's character.
1: Well, um, I'm going to ask you, I've got to start off with my questions in a minute, but I have to say that you looked at that and told me things about my father that were 100% accurate.
0: <laughs> and
1: you know, I I, rem- I remember looking at you at the time you said that thinking... <laughs> No one knows that. (laughs) Ah, but I know things. Let me clarify a point, if I may, Tracy.
0: Now, a lot of people think, because I'm mainly known as a psychic, that I use psychic work in my graphology, handwriting analysis, and I don't. I don't. It just seems to be magic. It's one of those things, I took a course, and I had an immediate affinity with handwriting analysis. I could just see it and sense it. But every single thing I say, you could look up in all the journals of graphology and it's right there. It's just that it spoke to me
1: and it works. (laughs) It does work. You're very talented. And first of all, before I ask my usual first question, but how do you prefer to be called psychic, clairvoyant, fortune teller, ghost hunter, handwriting analyst? What do you like to be called?
0: Well, I, I tend to introduce myself as a psychic and a handwriting analyst. In actual fact, Clairvoyant and paranormal investigator is more correct, but hey, psychic and handwriting analyst is just fine. Fortune teller, eh, not so much. But if people want to call me that, I'm not offended because it's easy to understand. It's okay.
1: Well, I um, I'm always impressed when someone's willing to submit to investigation and and go and be investigated in a scientific way. Um, I really, you know, respect that. So now I'm going to go to my question. I always ask my guests because I think it's really important for listeners because um, mm-hmm. you're a model for the community on how to think outside the box. So tell us how you got started. How did you begin your journey? What has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be a um, psychic and handwriting analyst? What, were, was the esoteric world of major presence in your home when you were growing up? Um, what did you think you would be? Tell me about your childhood the lead up till now. <laughs> Well, uh, let me sort of start at
0: the beginning of my introduction to realizing i would got my gift. And then we can w- work backwards and forwards on that. When I was in, living in London uh, a long, long time ago, I was sharing an apartment with several other young women. And one day, it was a Saturday, one of my roommates came up and said to me, have you got anything to do today? And I said, well, no, not really. And she oh, come on down. And she, we went down into the living room and laid out on a table. She had an upturned glass with the letters of the alphabet in a circle. I've never seen any such thing. But she said, well, what we do is we put our fingers on the glass and ask who's there. And I thought, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Okay. But then she said, well, no, 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 we're at the wrong table. Okay. We went into the kitchen. By that time, I'm really totally fed up. But Being politely brought up, I had said I was free, so what could I do? Put my (laughs) hand on, and she said, will you ask if anybody's there? So feeling incredibly foolish, I said, well, is anybody there? And it rushed out, and it spelled Clive. Now, Clive was a friend of a friend who had indeed been killed in a plane crash not so long before. But I Uh thought, well, I've got up, you know analytical mind as well, and I thought, well, okay, I may have mentioned it. So I thought, well, I'm going to put an end to this nonsense, and I'm going to ask, um, what was the name of his wife? And it spelled out Penelope. Now, the uh, young lady I was doing this with, um, she wasn't, well, let's be kind, she, she had not realized what had been spelled out, because Penelope is a slightly complicated um, spelling, and she hadn't seen, but I knew. And then all I can say to you is I became very warm, very elated and I had a presence. And she kept saying to me, We we stayed on that all afternoon. She kept saying, you've got the gift, you've got the gift, you've got the gift. I thought, oh, that's very strange. I lived round the corner to the Spiritualist Association of Great Britain, Arthur and Doyle, etc., for those people who know, and signed up for the young mediums development class. And one of the first things we did, um, it was a small group of us, perhaps five with a young medium sort of leading the class, and put into a tray all sorts of bits of jewelry, whatever we had on it, and took whatever, I mean, without looking. And I picked up a ring, and we were told to meditate for a few moments. I don't meditate, but that's a different matter altogether. And when he came around to me, other people got sort of, oh, I don't know, music or waves crashing or such like. Uh, When he came to me, um, I saw, I had seen a man standing in front of a green door in a terrace house, row house, as you would call it here. He had a cane, and I had a big pain up my left arm and across my chest. Mm. The young medium grabbed the ring from me and said, oh, well, that's my grandfather's ring, and that was my grandfather, and he died of a heart attack, and that's where he lived. Um, So I had those two sort of introductions, if you like, to realizing I was, in fact, already a fully-fledged medium. I just had not been brought to my attention. Now, the glass, by the way, to go back to the glass, because I did a lecture on this last week, is a form of the Ouija board.
1: That sounded like the Ouija board. It it,
0: it is a form of the Ouija board. Um, But I said, it's a glass. Actually, I've still got the glass with the letters of the alphabet. And that was my sort of beginning. Now, later on, of course, I realized, looking back at my early childhood, I was seeing and experiencing all sorts of things, but I didn't have the um, how should we say the vocabulary, and I certainly mm-hmm. wasn't in the family sort of setting that would encourage such a thing. I mean, I knew when I was about oh, five years old, give or take, that anywhere you are in any room you are, there's wall to wall. I suppose I was I was I, I was thinking spirit without I said you know putting that actually I I knew they were dead people, shall we say. And it's very, very disconcerting. Because if you think wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're not alone. Think about that. It's it's not a, not a comfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, looking back, I obviously was experiencing things very young. And also, my ethnic group is half Irish. Um, you may or may not know that such a gift is very, very strong in the Celtic people. And so that was sort of my beginning. And then when I was still in London, um, I had a friend, and we started to look at a lot of different mm, outlets, disciplines. She bought me a tarot card deck um, with the book that goes with it. And I was, while looking around at sort of esoteric Meeting places in London. I was also sitting on the floor with friends reading the tarot cards. Of course, I'll come to that later. There's no such thing as reading cards. And I was, I realized I had a very serious interest without ever for one moment at that point thinking, oh, I'm going to make my living as a clairvoyant. I mean, that was extremely far from my mind i mean it, it didn't even it wasn't a blip on the horizon but what did it, you think uh, it would be ah well um i knew for certain i wasn't going to be a secretary which was my training i was the worst one in the world and i hated it i don't know i knew that i was there was something different about me and i would do something odd but beyond that I had not a clue at that point. But I realize looking back I was doing all the the sort of groundwork which led me to this point over many years. That was my beginning, if you like.
1: So what about the tarot cards?
0: The tarot cards. Okay. Uh when I came to New York in seventy eight, I noticed an advert or I turned out to be an English woman giving classes on in tarot cards. And I thought, well, I've been playing with them for a long time, but I don't know how good I am dealing with people who are not necessarily friends. So I went and did a class, and we were giving each other readings, because I didn't know the other people. And I remember clearly reading for a young man, supposedly with tarot, and I knew he came from a Polish border, but it was one of those borders in Poland that changed very frequently. By telling you that, what I'm saying is there's no such thing as reading tarot cards per se, because believe me, there's no tarot card that talks about somebody coming from the Polish border. Right. Uh, I, my belief system is everything I do comes from spirit. Tarot cards I use um, as a, a tool, shall we say, but one is not reading tarot cards. One is connected to spirit and clairvoyance or not.
1: I, I think that I believe that too. I think that that tarot cards can be accurate, and palm reading can be accurate, and reading tea leaves can be accurate, and reading the entrails of an animal can be accurate if the person doing the reading opens themselves to that larger realm of information okay. and you, knowingness. You actually, you've, you've stolen one of my major lines. <laughs>
0: I'll tell you what it is. Um, it, some people, you know, call and ask about my readings. And um, I understand they wish to appear knowledgeable. I understand. And they say, oh, well, you know, do you work with um, crystals or photographs or anything? And I say, well, I use the medium of the tarot. But I said, if I used chicken entrails on the floor, the only thing that would matter is Am I accurate? It doesn't matter how you access the the information. I don't use chicken intel Its too disgusting, but um, <laughs> no, it's horrible, it's disgusting, it? Um, But it doesn't matter. It only matters. But as I said, people like to sort of mm, try to quantify they've heard something, they believe they know somebody who reads um, t- as you say t- it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
1: So how did you start actually in this field? Like, how did you start doing it professionally in psychic work, handwriting analysis? Well, I'll tell you, um, I became friendly with this young English, well,
0: this young at the time, English woman, um, Emily Peach, who, by the way, has written the definitive book on tarot and handwriting, but um, that's a different matter. And we struck up a friendship, and we signed on to do parties together, because we thought that's a great way to sort of hone our skills in a very non-threatening way because you may or may not know that if somebody is booked as a psychic for an event, technically and legally, it's called an entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. We just we just happened to be real. So we honed our skills on that. And then I had a friend who was actually full-time in the business and he said to me, you know, you're ready to go full-time. And I said, oh, am I? Um, okay, all right. And I did. And I had an advert in the Village Voice, brought in all sorts of strange people back then, but that was my starting. And the same person, and I haven't looked back since then, and the same person a while afterwards who also had a public access show said, you could do this as well. And I again said, oh, okay, all right, okay. Um, Went and did the public access show, which is very, um, all I had was, Camera in front of me, an open telephone line, and that was it. And people would call in and say, Give me a general reading. I seem to have got it pretty right, even in that very, very quick, uh, those very, very quick readings. And I actually went on to have that show for about, with breaks, about 16 years. But during that time, as I said, um, from the very beginning, I didn't do anything else. This was my work. This was my vacation. So I think all these things pointed me in the direction. I mean, often in my work, and I'll come to my ghost hunting in a moment. I've been somebody's put a thought to me, and I'm I'm really quite bold. Somebody puts a thought to me, and I say, oh, okay, okay, we'll, we'll give that a sh- we'll give that a shot. And I mm-hmm. do, I do. I wouldn't necessarily have come to that myself, but those people were put into my life for that purpose, and. Then I look back and I, I I recognize that you're in your dharma. You're doing
1: what you came here to do.
0: Oh, absolutely! This is a vacation. I mean, I don't think anybody um, any sensible person would wake up one day and think, "Oh, I'm going to make my living as a psychic." Because it isn't easy. This is not easy work. It isn't easy. I mean, some people who my friends were not so particularly into what I do, um, have the strong feeling that unless you're working nine to five and getting a salary, you're really not doing anything worthwhile. Um, it, it's a, and I never thought that, being having looked after myself since I was 18, I never thought back then that if you didn't get a paycheck every week, you could possibly support yourself. It was a big leap of faith, literally and metaphorically. But it was the right thing to do. Has it been easy? No. Would I ever want to go back and do anything else? Absolutely no. I, I, I believe my work to be, without sounding too grand, um, important. I really do.
1: Well, I, I think it can be. I You mentioned ghost hunting. You know, mm. I just have to tell a quick story, and that is, um, you know, I trained to be a healer, and I was a healer, and we worked with a lot of clairvoyance, And, you know, from time to time, um, entities or spirits, Passover people show up, although I really don't want to deal. I don't want to do that work, and I close down my site every chance I get. But um, I was dealing with someone who was a professional scientific person, and a colleague of theirs died. And after his colleague died, she started coming to me saying, I've left an envelope on a table. It has to be mailed. And I was just like, oh, please don't do this. Go away. I, I don't want to talk to you. And she was like, I've left an envelope. She wouldn't go away. She, very, she was this wonderful, wonderful human being. She And what was beautiful about her when she was alive and continued when she was not um, in the body is that she had a big heart field as well as a big intelligence field. So her, her loving kindness and her intelligence were both very strong and very vivid in her field. But she kept coming to me. So finally, reluctantly, I sent an email saying um, – Dear so-and-so, you know, I come from a different paradigm than you do, and I have to say, you know, I'm so sorry about I heard your call. I, you told me your colleague passed away, and in this paradigm in which I live and have my being, she has come to me and said there's something, an envelope on a table that has to be mailed. Would you please just check this out? Maybe it's totally wrong, but at least I will have. So then she left, and I never heard more about it because I didn't want to ask this person no, who's no, a science no. person. But I felt, but I was just like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> how do you deal with it? Because they'll come. If you're open, they will come to you.
0: Well, uh, let me go back to the Association of Great Britain. This is a really important point. They were adamant to tell us, in telling us that, it is much more important to learn how to close down than to open up. And I've always done this. I do not walk around open. Um, now, I'm, I'm sure we all know, well, you and I know, people gifted clever ones who suddenly start reading people next door to them in, in the supermarket line or whatever else. Uh, accurate or not is not the thing I'm saying, but they burn out. They burn out. And people, you know, meet me perhaps socially and say, oh, tell me something about myself. And I, I don't and I can't. Um, because if I was open all the time, I'd have been a crazy person a long time ago. Uh, mm-hmm. Another thing about that is, by the time I live in a very large apartment block, by the time people leave my apartment and get to the elevator, everything about them is gone. I have be I've got a sort of mm, contract, if you like, with the other side. I know that sounds strange, but everything I say sounds strange, so bear with me, that they protect me, which is why people bring me up, perhaps they've come to see me once a year for like, 30 years or whatever it has happened. um, And they expect me to remember something about them, their reading. But I don't. It's passed through me. It's gone. It's finished. It's done with. I do not walk around open, um, if that answers your question.
1: Well, I just want to hear your comment. I I have an agreement, and it's no spirits in the bedroom, because I do not want to wake up in the middle of the night and see
0: some uh, some (laughs)
1: disincarnate. I just don't want to do it. So I have a really clear... (laughs) Intention in my home. <laughs> well, uh,
0: yeah, may, may, may I interpose there? Uh, the thing is, when I say, you know, I, my, my my apartment is sealed, um, when I'm saying that there are wall-to-wall um, spirits and entities, I don't mean anybody or anything that one can actually see. Uh, that there are no, um, let's call them spirits in your, sorry, bedroom, that um, there aren't would be unlikely, but that's very different from actually seeing something. That's a whole different cup of tea.
1: Well, tell me about ghost hunting and how you got started with that and what that involves. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Now, um, again,
0: I had met in my travels here a parapsychologist, and some years later, she called me out of the blue and said, would I be interested in doing what she called an experiment? Oh, yes, always interested in an experiment. I didn't know what it was, but Again, always willing to do something new. And she said, well, next Tuesday, pack an overnight bag. Be ready at 6 o'clock. You will get a call telling you where to go. Okay. So I get a call, and I'm told to go to Penn Station to meet somebody by the ticket, op- pick up a ticket, went out to Philly, Philadelphia, and met with a group of people, and we were all taken out to what was then the General Wayne Inn, which is the oldest operating or was the oldest operating inn um, actually in the States. Middle of the night, it was still operating as a restaurant bar at that time. So we waited till the whole place was empty. Now, what happens with a real proper, and they're not done, unfortunately, anymore, but a real proper investigation is the first time a parapsychologist is told about a site. First thing she does is giving giving a psychological assessment to the person who thinks they've got ghosts, because who knows what. But if there's reason to believe, there's history, then what she does two things: she draws or has drawn a floor plan of the entire building. Then she asks several skeptics and sensitives that's what we're called, to come in and walk through the building. And I'll tell you exactly how that's done. Uh, We're each given a floor plan, and we walk through the building, it's a very big building, by by ourselves with a blind assistant. I'll explain. The blind assistant knows nothing about the location at all, nothing, because then you can't pick up any subconscious little cues. And... It was a very haunted place. There was a big room called the Poe Room or the Post Office Room. If I walked across the um, threshold, walked into a room, I felt as if I got flu, felt very ill. Walk out fine, walk in, feel sick. Went through the building. The very, very top floor, I could hear sort of giggling and laughing. It was an open space where, you know, long ago the servants would have lived. There was an r- office on the back of the second floor, I felt very uncomfortable in. I was obviously reading something in the future because not so long afterwards, one of the managers murdered his partner in there. Oh, my God. But going downstairs, went down to the cellar. Now, when I say it's cellar, it was uh, carved out of earth. It wasn't, um, you know, cellars you might have in your house. And walking down the very rickety little wooden steps stairs, I suddenly thought, Oh, that's interesting. Over there, there's a soldier in an old sort of uniform. He's hiding. He's very, very frightened. So I put that on my little floor plan, uh, went off. We all turned in our things and met up the next morning because it was the middle of the night by that time. And everybody is, um, what they'd seen and felt was looked at. Um, the soldier was the biggest ghost, was the most frequently seen ghost in the entire place so sort of bingo and that we recreated that for the unsolved mysteries and it's still being shown i mean it's many many years ago it's still being shown but to go back that was my very very first um ghost hunt if you like and i got it i mean i just got it uh, nobody else did, but um, that was my first I've done many since then, but that was my first, and that was one of the biggest experiments one had done because there was money available for those things back then, so that is ideally how it's done since then I've done you know many more um in a smaller way, but that's really how I started
1: and um it's something you enjoy. Have you ever been frightened oh. when you encountered one of these? Uh, not,
0: not, not, not so far, not so far. Um, another house we went to, a friend of mine, actually was a client, um, I'm allowed to say that, you'll understand why in a moment, <clears throat> and she had a very interesting background. She worked in the financial field, but also she was constantly aware of spirits. For example, she did a fairly rare thing. She had time lapses. She said there were places on Lexington Avenue that she couldn't walk down because She was seeing people from all kinds of different um, periods of time rushing around. Now, she was telling us about, she'd been telling me about her very haunted house out in, near the Delaware Gap. So, a friend of mine, she's also, she's an amazing clairvoyant, (coughs) Carl Petrie. We asked if we could come out and have a look, and he would video it. So, we went out, and... We weren't quite sure which house it was. It was out in the country. They didn't have sort of numbers on. So we just walked up to the porch. What happens quite frequently, we both got very dizzy. And we said, oh, okay, we're at the right place. So we walked around separately because we quite often work together. But, you know, we do our walking around separately. And there was an area in the front room where I sort of saw, and I'll explain that in a moment, a woman in a rocking chair now, um, I've got to tell you how I see. Carl does something different. When I see, I would say to somebody, can you see your bedroom? You can see your bedroom, yes? hmm Okay, good. That is how I usually see. It's in my mind's eye. Now, Carl is a completely different person. He sees externally, but we come up with the same things. And I was in the living room, and he was videoing me, and there were no doors or windows open, and I got a very cold chill down one arm. When he looked, and he is a videographer, when he looked at the tape later, a black shape goes right across my face. There was banging upstairs, there were lights flickering, there were candles flickering, a book crashed from one side to the other, massively haunted. So we met with her again, with somebody else, with a view to filming the whole mm-hmm. thing because it, it really was I could spend the whole hour just telling you about that place but we haven't got time. Um so we met on now this is the early September two thousand and one. That's relevant. And it was a Thursday and we were talking about perhaps looking into who had lived in the house before. I mean one of the manifestations there, the farmer because it was originally a farmhouse, four o'clock every morning went tramping down very, very noisily um, down the wooden stairs. She wasn't very social. And people would, because it was a gorgeous place, people used to want to to stay there. (laughs) They never lasted the night. They never lasted the night. any case, so we met with her, and she said she was going to look up, you know, the deeds of the house to see who had lived there. And she gave me her business card. Now, in my work, I don't usually have to know where people work. It's it's irrelevant to me. She worked for Cantor Fitzgerald. Uh. Next Tuesday, she was no longer with us. But I knew perfectly well that she just went straight home to her friends because she was much more comfortable with spirit, though she was also an incredibly successful stockbroker.
1: Mm -hmm. So if you
0: knew her with her business hat on, you would never know. She's constantly surrounded by spirits i'm very comfortable with them and not so very fond of living breathing people so that mm-hmm. was one of the very dramatic um places I, I i've done another ghost hunt too but there are many more but i said you know we, we're sort of short of time i can't tell you of them all but um those are two of the the more dramatic oh well, let me tell you about two others if i may quickly sure because because there are different ways to experience. I went down with a journalist down to, again, the Philly area. Um, I didn't know him. As we were going down, I got an impression. I saw in my mind's eye a table with medical equipment on it. Went down to the first place, which was now a museum. I didn't know where we were going. And it had been a Quaker hospital. And in one of the rooms, medical equipment laid out. We went to another house, um, and as we were sort of going, it was a big house uh, down on Main Line, nice place. As we walked across the threshold, again, very dizzy. Mm. Walked into the, there was a very big sort of open um, hallway, but big, very, very big. And I walked up to one end, and I put my arm up as if I was leaning on something. There wasn't anything there, and she looked at me and said, This used to be a bar, and that's where the bar used to be. Uh? I've got got my elbow. And another similar sort of manifestation, before it was torn down, um, Martha Graham's studio, dance studio, was literally on my street down the road. Went in shortly before, because I knew it was being demolished, Mm -hmm. and was walking around with the artistic director. And out in the garden, there was a big red, I don't know, two poles. I don't know quite how to describe them. Spontaneously, I go. I put my arm round, leaned back, and put one leg up. And he said, "That's exactly the pose she used on that." And I swear, I've never seen a Martha Martha Graham ballet. Never have. Never had. So, seeing and experiencing can be many, many, many different things. Now, in the apartment building I live in, which is this is a very big apartment block, it's the entire block. For many years, no longer, when I looked down at the end of the corridors, I would see black, swirly shapes, because I don't always see internally, sometimes externally. They've now gone. So seeing and being in touch with spirit is many different things,
1: many, many, Mm. many
0: different things. Mm. And
1: how did you learn to trust it? Was it just that your earliest examples were so palpable and verifiable? Oh yes, very. Now I I am very analytical. Now, it sounds strange in my field.
0: I always want to have something to know nothing in advance, and to have it verified afterwards. I mean, when the parapsychologist Dr. Michaeline Meer does her full test, let me explain how it's done. Um, suppose there's suppose you've just got one room, and in one corner is where whatever has been seen and observed and sensed is so if i go into that room and i just recognize that corner shall we say that is a certain mathematical score however if i then take another corner that reduces mathematically my first score if you see what i mean it's 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 very complicated but um i i've been she said i've got super side by the way it's not what Wikipedia says it is. I've got to tell you that. Um, she said, I've got, I've got way above chance, way above average, the ability to move back in time and space to situations I have no knowledge of sigh. it is it, above chance. It's way above chance. Now, sceptics. Let's get back to the sceptics, if we must, who you know have to do these just to as a balance, if you like. Mm-hmm. Do they ever get anything right? No, of course they don't. I mean, no, absolutely not at all. Um, so to go back, do I, for my own satisfaction, need to have it verified afterwards? Yes, I do. I mean, if somebody rings me up and says they've got pink elephants dancing in the kitchen. I'm not interested. I really want to do it as properly as one can, going the same way as I work with my clients. I always say to a client perspective, don't don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. Please tell me nothing. And the same with a site. Don't tell me anything. I just want to see and feel and hear what I do without any input. It's it's the same. It's the same.
1: Well, when I came to you for my session, you You said, don't tell me anything, don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. (laughs) Over and over again at the beginning you said that. that, that Okay, you can tell me a little bit if you're asking a question about it. That was when you were doing the cards.
0: Absolutely. If I told you many times, um, I, 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 of course I did remember your reading, you must have been one of those chatty clients that I have to keep saying, not being rude, but shh, quiet, <laughs> quiet, <laughs> be quiet, please. Shh, shh, shh. You must have been one of those. <laughs> but it's all, it's all for the client's benefit because it isn't, it isn't a therapy session. It isn't a little chat about whatever, and I don't want, I have no interest in the client's input because obviously they've got all the emotions attached to whatever their question is, and I don't. So I don't want to really, as politely put as possible, hear all the stuff attached to the question. I want the, well, I ask really, after I, look, let me go back, I do the general reading first of all, knowing nothing, and quite a lot of the client's situation comes up in that, Mm -hmm. And then the second half, um, the client is allowed to, no, I don't want to say allowed, can ask questions, but I always ask only one word, sort of say work or personal. We can expand that afterwards if you need, but again, I don't want to know.
1: Can you summarize some of the more important points of what you've learned along this journey as a psychic and a ghost hunter and a graphologist? Um, I think faith and trust in what I do.
0: And that has to come after many, 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 many years of experience. Because um, when I was way back in London, sort of playing on the floor with friends with Tarot, um, it felt for many years, before I was doing this professionally, as if I was just telling a story. The thing is, I began to realize, it may feel like a story to me, but it's very directly relevant to the person, and it's not a general general, general statements. So I think... One can't, even if one is incredibly gifted, there has to be, you have to have, done, you have to have done your time before putting out your shingle. You have to get a certain amount of confidence. And that can only come with experience, which is why to go back, I started doing parties because as I said, in a party, you're only technically there as an entertainer, but I was doing my best to be real.
1: And, and can you that, really do accurate work in a party atmosphere?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, in parties, the one thing I asked the hostess or host is, there's a, two things I need. I need, a table and two chairs. People can't come together. And it's much the same, really, as a TV show, a quick general reading. But I, I, I did one on Halloween a little while ago, and the first man, he was an older man, he'd never been to anybody like me, and he sat there with his eyes like saucers and said, how do you know that? How do you know that? (laughs) Magic. (laughs) I "I am actually real. And his eyes were like saucers because he just sat down, you know, something to do, what the heck. (laughs) So, yes, it's the same as a TV show. I can be accurate. Well, I usually am. Um, Otherwise, you know, People wouldn't continue to book one. It's as simple as that. Same as my client work. You could do a certain amount of work, I suppose, talking complete nonsense, but you wouldn't get repeats, you wouldn't get referrals, you'd be out of business. So by the law of averages, I must be getting something right, otherwise I wouldn't still be here.
1: Well, and your main work is with clients. Do you? Does that involve spirit communication? Absolutely.
0: App- Absolutely, it, it, it does. I mean, my philosophy, and I don't tell too many clients because they have to get scared. Um, okay, let's go back to tarot. Tarot is pretty. So, and I deliberately make very little eye contact with clients because that can be intimidating. So they like to think I'm reading, reading cards because that's non-threatening. What is actually happening is my, I call them my team, is... Talking to your team and there's an exchange of information. Everything's everything's spread. Let me tell you another thing that I can't say happens regularly, but occasionally happens in um, my client work. And I've got the I've got the client's permission to say this because I'm very discreet about who my clients are. I was dealing with a German woman. I've been dealing with her for some years, and. Lovely lady. She was blonde with blue eyes. And you're already thinking, okay, she's German, blonde, blue eyes. What, you know, <laughs> nothing special about that. But we were in the middle of talking about whatever were her issues of that day. And I was being very attracted to, there was a man. I knew he was spirit. And he, he was obviously a grandfather. And he wasn't going to let me go. Same as your woman with the, with the envelope. They're not going to let you go if they caught your attention. And right, what he particularly right. kept showing me were his bright blue eyes. He also showed me that he was a, he was a sailor. He had a little heart out on the beach in the North Sea. He was very antisocial and so on and so on and so on. Now, the client starts bursting into tears, not because it was her grandfather, but two things. They were the only ones in her family with his bright blue eyes, and there'd uh, always be a little bit of question in the family whether he was actually her grandfather. So she got all her answers just, just like that. Oh, so that's lovely. I can't, it, 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 I, I can't say it happens often, but it has happened quite a few times. And as you've just said yourself, once they've caught your attention, <laughs> they're not going to let you go. They're right. not going to let you go. You have to give the message, and that's the beginning and end of it. But, but right, that was right. particularly profound, the blue eyes, because, oh, that fills into something else, I never edit. Because if I was editing, I'm thinking, why should I mention the blue eyes? Why are you shaming the blue eyes? She's got blue eyes. You've got blue eyes. You're German. You've got blue eyes. (laughs) But Uh that was the crux. It was the crux of the matter.
1: Well, I didn't want to give the message because the person I had to give the message to was a person with a science background who did not leave, is not part of this paradigm. And I really argued with this woman. But and she was the most big-hearted person in the world, but very stubborn. She just was not going to leave until, you know, and I waited. I sat on it for at least a week, and she just <laughs> would leave. Finally, I, I gave the message and thought, well, God only knows what he thinks of me now. He probably thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> but, so what are some of the major challenges you've faced in your work, and what are some of the rewards? But start with the challenges. I'd really like to hear. Well, challenges, um, I, as you know, come
0: from England, um, a sort of middle-class background. Uh, my family, my mother originally, left it, different story, was raised a devout Catholic. So if you know anything about England, plus Catholicism, my work is totally beyond the pale. I mean, totally <laughs> beyond the pale. I mean, just, just, just. so um, one of the reasons I came to New York, um, the I haven't told you my story about what brought me to New York, but I'll tell you perhaps that in a moment. Um, So when I used to go back to England, which I did very regularly when my brother and mother were still with us, um, I was sort of told, no discussions, don't want to know about what you do, not a word about it, thank you very much. Until I was on BBC television and radio, and then suddenly I became sort of, Famous, and then I was allowed to, but
1: really, <coughs> not.
0: really, really, really not. It doesn't fit into um, what one would have thought of as my background. So is that a sort of challenge? It was originally. I mean, a long, long, long time ago, I gave up truly, absolutely any thought of being at all worried about what people think of what I do. Because you can't. You can't. I mean, you, you, you just can't. You can't. I mean, sometimes um, I look like a perfectly normal, regular person. Of course, I'm not. But I look like a regular person. So occasionally somebody meet me socially and chat about this and that. And then they'll ask what I do. And I can see a shutter going down in front of their eyes, metaphorically speaking. They're absolutely mm-hmm. horrified because they're thinking hey, I was <laughs> a regular person. And here I am, obviously, totally crazy person so but you can't you can't buy into that you can't the the joys of the work um oh so many um one of the last things my mother said to me is because she was evaluating what i was doing because she'd never been quite on board with it and she said to me in her last days that's not morbid it's a, it was actually a wonderful no. couple of days but never mind um so she said to me you know paula in your work do you help people i said oh yes mommy she said oh well, that's all right then. <laughs> I got to oh. sensation at the very... Oh, another thing. I mean, she worked as um, a professional social worker. So between Catholicism and social work, she thought I was giving people good advice without being trained. But uh, when she heard finally on the last day that I was actually helping people, then that became all right. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the joys are... Okay, given that, you know, I, I remain a sort of professional distance, but it's very nice to be able to help people with parts of their life that they have no other avenue to to go to, shall we say. Because uh, some people ask me, well, well, some people actually rang up and said, well, I've got su- such and such amount of money this week. Um, I'm just wondering whether I should go to my psychiatrist or you. And I didn't say anything, but the thing is, if one comes to me and if it's working correctly, I never said, I never do it, you know, we can guarantee our work, we can't. But mm-hmm. hour for hour, I'm telling you, I'm not waiting for you to discuss you know, your childhood or whatever else. I'm telling you things that if they're correct, you can then work with or not
1: as you choose. Um,
0: so that, that, that is the joy of my work.
1: And have there been clients who came back and said, what, you know, Paula, this really changed my life. Thank you.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, too many times. Remember. I'll give you a little example, just a small example. I'd seen a young lady um, in the summer, and she came back about I don't know, several months later. And before I could tell her not to say anything, she said, you told me I wasn't going to marry my boyfriend, but I did. And I thought, okay, so why are you here? I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it turned out that she was already divorcing him, and she said, I wish I'd listened to what she was saying because you were so right. It's that sort of thing. I mean, there are so many stories, I couldn't possibly think of them all. But that's the kind of thing that they get information from me, and they know I have, I have nothing to gain by it. I just tell them. Uh, sometimes people, uh, there's a write-up in a book about me, but I'm brusque, I'm not for the timid, but I'm right. That is, that is all I aim to be, um, to give people information which they could work on with or not, as they choose. I mean, one of the things I do, or so many things, it sounds like a little thing, but suppose you were going for an interview or a meeting next week. I know, really or tend to know, what sort of the dynamics of that meeting is going to be, how you're going to be received, what the outcome is, who you're going to be meeting, that sort of thing people find really very helpful mm-hmm. and usually
1: accurate. So, so, so many different ways, so many different ways. And what are some of the best tools you've found to help you on your path to being successful in this journey of being a psychic and a ghost hunter and graphologist?
0: I think uh, just perseverance perseverance, just, I mean, um, in a sort of gentle way, putting the name out there, um, not, you know, it's it's easier these days than it used to be, I mean, I do the Cindy Adams column for the last 30 years, I've had many write-ups, many other TV shows, really, um, I said it's a lot easier these days to put one's name out, but it wasn't originally, just to keep on moving forward, and not to be discouraged because you know this isn't the easiest work to do in the world and the economy goes up and down so you know that affects things um I think commitment and
1: where, and I where do commitment, you see your work, commitment and where do you see your work in 5 years 10 years and 20 years um 20 years I'm not sure I'm still going to be around but hey <laughs> Uh, I I I don't know. Um, well, actually, I do know there is something
0: coming up. There's a possibility, but I can't talk about it because we're not signed, and sealed, and settled yet. So um, there could be something marvelous. Can't tell anymore. And I'm not trying to be mysterious, but until it's signed, sealed, and settled, I'll tell you about it as and when. No, not okay. as and when. When. <laughs> okay. But I I, I do. I, let me say, put it this way. Um, I hope to be part of something which will show what appears to be the reasonable face. Of ghost hunting interesting oh, yes. i love that
1: i love that that's a wonderful face the reasonable face of ghost hunting really? because I, I, somebody
0: i was you know i'm attached in this project with uh described me as looking as if i sell insurance or scarves in bloomingdale's well okay um perhaps not insurance but i do look like a perfectly normal regular person
1: You're a very attractive lady. You have a very nice affect and, you know, you photograph well and, yeah, you have a very personable kind of approach. Well, I think, thank you, that
0: has allowed me access to people who wouldn't dream of coming to people such as myself because I don't look scary. I mean, I don't don't have sage burning or I don't come and... Meditate or all those sort of things um which you know i don't never talk about it but i i just personally don't i just i just get on with it i, I, I don't know how else quite to say it um i've got in a way <clears throat> a practical way of dealing with my work this is what i do i don't walk around thinking wow did i really say that wow i don't it's just um how can i say it's part of me some people mm-hmm. say well how does it feel to be you and i say well I don't really know. This is the only me I've ever known. So I can't say how differently I see things to how you see things. I I, I can't say that because I've always been me.
1: And who inspires you? Who are your models? (laughs) Ah, a good question.
0: None. I'm an Aquarian. I don't have any... um, I've never, should we say, had heroes, idols, zero... None. I, I, my, my, my mind just doesn't work in that way. Um, so nobody inspires me as such. Um, no, so that's that's the simple answer. No.
1: <laughs> well, we have like about five or six minutes left. Do you want to talk about where people can find you again online? I mentioned it once, and also what you have upcoming.
0: Oh yes, thank you so much. Well, my 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 website is just simply my name,
1: paularoberts.org.
0: dot org my telephone number is two one two seven five one seven one two two again 212-751-7122. Uh, email my name paula c roberts two forty five at m s n dot com again paula c roberts two forty five at m s n dot Paula C. Roberts, all one word, and um, here I am.
1: And what, do you have any, um, I know you did a lecture last week, do you have anything else upcoming? Well, the lecture, um, it was wonderful. It was out of the Alice Austen house,
0: uh, purportedly haunted out in Staten Island, and I was working with um, Shannon Taggart, who's a wonderful, fabulous photographer of the esoteric. Um, Mitch Horowitz, some of you may know his work, um, an intellectual, incredibly interested in the esoteric, but in a very, very intellectual manner. And he was talking about uh, the history of the Ouija board. And when Shannon asked me if I would become part of this, I said, you didn't even know that's where I started. So uh, when we are all finished, we decided it went so well, the combination of our three... um, areas of expertise, uh, we're hoping to do that again because it really, really worked. And um, Shannon with her photographs, um, Mitch with his history of the, t- of the Ouija, and then me who actually does it. So uh, we haven't got anything booked as yet, but I'm sure we're going to be a little... I don't like to say a team, but a little group of people doing these lectures ongoing. It was a sort of test run. It went very well indeed, if I may say so. I, I'm just sorry. It, it wasn't taped. I wish it had been taped uh, because I was people were asking me questions, and I wish I
1: could remember what I said to them. But hey, the next time. <laughs> next time. And we have a, a few minutes. So would you want to talk <laughs> about your book about handwriting analysis with oh, an yes, emphasis yes, on yes. couple compatibility? Absolutely, we have forgotten that. <clears throat> um, my book is available. It's an e-book. It's
0: out on Amazon, Unlocking the Secrets Hidden in Handwriting. Now, over the many, many years I've done handwriting, <clears throat> I have collected many, many, many different samples, um, a lot of celebrities, a lot of people with extreme characteristics. And I realized over the many years, because I always start a client reading with the handwriting analysis, and I realized... I can do speci- um I can look at compatibility with couples through handwriting. So the book is somewhat an emphasis on, in a mini way, being able to look at your own handwriting and somebody else's to see how close you are in character or not. And as you said yourself, it's very very accurate. I love handwriting because it really blows people's socks off, which is I find very amusing. Because how can you said so yourself? How can looking at a little bit of handwriting, tell me about your relationship with your father. But it can.
1: It did. Well, you looked at my handwriting and you looked at my husband's and you said, you two have nothing in common, which on some (laughs) level we really don't. And yet it it kind of works.
0: Let let, let me clarify that point. Let me be very clear on that point. When I talk about compatibility, I always say it doesn't mean to say people aren't going to work something out. But at the gut level, you don't connect, and you always have to intellectually adjust for the differences. I've got to be very careful with that because a lot of people are not at all compatibility. Obviously, you and your husband have got a wonderful situation going. It doesn't mean to say it's not going to work. It just makes it that much more difficult.
1: Let me tell you. Sorry. No, I think you're right. I think we do have to make uh, intellect because we just are really different as people. Yes, yes.
0: I'll, t- I'll tell you the other thing. When one is compatible, it's very, very easy. It just means that when you first met the person, you didn't have to work at getting to know them. That doesn't say you like them, but it, it's just, it's easy. Or not in your case.
1: <laughs> so we're just about out of time. Is there a quick fun fact about yourself you'd like to tell the listeners? Um, I don't know if it's a
0: fun fact, but I've already done, I can't tell you what they are, my world predictions for Cindy, and they'll, they usually come out sometime of Christmas, New Year. I, I can very quickly tell you what local ones I got right this year, very, very quickly. Uh, Chris Christie sidelined, right? Jed Bush Fades into obscurity, right? Central Park horses keep trotting, right? Homeless hits record numbers, right? Okay. Hillary falters newcomer surges. I think that's Trump will be very temporary. So a few things that I've got. I've got. I've got more extraordinary things that I've got right internationally, but I don't think we've got time to say. I've got one. No,
1: no. <laughs> we've run I'm, out of time. <laughs> we've run out of time. Thank you so much for being on the show, Paul. You've been amazing and wonderful, and I'd like to encourage listeners to go to pauleroberts.org. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's been absolutely marvelous. i had a marvelous time. And indeed, the time went past too quickly.
0: Thank you so much. much.
1: Thank you. So um, next week, Dr. Linda Hillebrand, and see you next time. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.